Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How are you? Great. 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 We're going to have another doozy of a show. Another doozy. Better than last week's. I don't know if it's going to be as good as next week's, but I can tell you one thing. This week's is going to rock. It's going to rock. We have to venture into Log Lady time. So, Brian, I can't believe we are just moving through the second season now with Log Lady intros. And we are already up to episode 14 of Ooh. Log Lady. A poem as lovely as a tree. As the night wind blows, the boughs move to and fro. The rustling, the magic rustling that brings on the dark dream. The dream of suffering and pain. Pain for the victim, pain for the inflictor of pain. A circle of pain, a circle of suffering. Woe to the ones who behold the pale horse. You know, this episode is the episode that we find out who killed Laura Palmer. What was your theory in the pale horse again? My theory's always been that it was it was death from the Bible. Death riding on pale horse. I like that one. Maybe because it just stuck with me after I saw Kimmy Schmidt and a pale horse shows up and the person's on heroin. Yeah. And I looked it up and the pale horse is associated with someone on heroin or heroin or mm. so so for me, I'm thinking Leland had poisoned Sarah Palmer. 
and maybe punched her in the gut. Punched her in the gut. <laughs> I love but that. Dr- she drank something could have been heroin or something to really make her not lucid. Your your theory probably holds more water, but for me, I feel like it's indication that he poisoned Sarah. Right. It is like a you it know? is like a hallucination. I yeah. mean, it's the idea that you're seeing visions or you're seeing something. That isn't really there because I mean it's not like the horse is running around uh, the the Palmer house. It's yeah. just, it's there for a second and then disappears. So I guess the, you could definitely see the idea of a hallucination or a vision. The, the meat of this is really interesting. Yeah, and they talk as the night wind blows, the bowels move to and fro. Now, doesn't this remind you of when Cooper is coming into town? And he's like, look at all these trees, and you see right. them moving yes. in the wind? David Lynch uh-huh. was pitching this show. The first thing he talked about was there's wind through the trees. Yes. So even from, he always loves that kind of motion and movement. Throughout Twin Peaks, there's just the wind through the trees. And they say the rustling, the magic rustling that brings on the dark dream. So, yeah, it's like this dream quality that you're kind of almost in a trance watching the, the trees go back and forth. And the pain for the victim, pain for the inflictor of the pain. So you, we have Sarah's pain that the whole town has felt because of her death. And now we get to see the pain that is going to inflict on, you know, Leland. If we believe that maybe Leland had been abused as a child, he then inflicts that pain onto his daughter. And it is a circle of the abused becomes the abuser. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's not strong enough to break the cycle. What theory you go with? Is it this entity of Bob? that entices violence through a vessel mm. that happens to be Leland? Yeah. Or do we take on the theory that Bob doesn't exist, it is just the evil things men do? Right. And it ends with, woe to the ones who behold the pale horse. So at least the idea is the pale horse is not a good thing to see. Yeah. Food is interesting. For instance, why do we need to eat? Why are we never satisfied with just the right amount of food to maintain good health and proper energy? We always seem to want more and more. When eating too much, the proper balance is disturbed and ill health follows. Of course, eating too little food throws the balance off in the opposite direction, and there is the ill health coming at us again. Balance is the key. Balance is the key to many things. Do we understand balance? The word balance has seven letters. Seven is difficult to balance, but not impossible if we are able to divide. There are, of course, the pros and cons of division. The pros and cons of division. (laughs) So if you divide seven, you're going to get, what, three and a half? Yeah, so that's the pros and cons of division, Ben. (laughs) I mean, this one's pretty obvious. It's like um, don't overindulge something. Don't underindulge of something that you need. You keep yourself in check. Mm. The checks and balances almost, right? Now, so this episode is the one where we all now know Leland is the killer, you get to see his mischief side. He's got uh, Maddie in a golf bag, and Cooper stops him, and he's dancing in Great Northern. And, yeah. yeah. I kind of feel like, to me, this is the episode that the evil has taken over completely because he got to kill again, 
and I think he really liked it. It's like it too much time. of a good thing. Like he got away with Laura Palmer, and he got away a year ago with Teresa Banks, but now he's like within a month he's now killing again. So he almost kills Donna. He he was overindulging in murder, couldn't help himself, and too much murder is not good for a diet. Bob and I, when we were killing together, there was this this perfect relationship, appetite. Satisfaction, a golden circle. So now the sadness comes, the revelation. There is a depression after an answer is given. It was almost fun not knowing. Yes, now we know. At least we know what we sought in the beginning. But there is still the question, why? And this question will go on and on until the final answer comes. Then the knowing is so full, there is no room for questions. I think there's a direct call out to ABC. Hmm. Like, we all know the story how David Lynch didn't want to ever give the killer out. We mm-hmm. didn't want to know, but ABC and the executives and these people are like, no, you can't just not tell people. Yeah, you know who the murderer is now. Now what? Like, where right. do we go from here? And it really is true. When the mystery has gone, it is sad. Mm. I don't, you know, you want to be, I like being in the dark and yeah. having that mystery. So, like, after these couple episodes... You're kind of like, well, now what? I feel like this is really Lynch speaking more than any. There is depression after an answer is given. So there's a, Mm. and I feel like Lynch probably was that. He was depressed and like, all right, yeah, we know the answer. And like, yeah, right. I'm, you know, I have nothing else to say now because everything's been revealed. Yeah. It's bizarre in a way to think that it's not satisfying in some ways because now there's no more mystery. But yeah, and that's what the ending part is. Like when knowing is so full, there's no room for questions. I don't think Lynch ever wants you to be so full there is no... He wants you to have questions. Mm-hmm. If he could have his way. And I think season three is going to revigorate the, the mysteries surrounding everything. But I think because Lynch wasn't there, really, to stop this... I mean, ABC wanted the killer to be revealed. Mm-hmm. So they had no choice. I'm going to go to another classic show with a lot of mysteries, Lost. One Good of our Lost. One yes. of our favorite we shows. The one problem with that show was sometimes they did cave into the audience and give us too many answers to questions we I, I don't think we should have known. How about the tattoo? They had a whole episode revolving about tattoo. about tattoo, and it's like, do we really care about Jack's tattoo? You're right, and you know what? You, the one moment I that was cringeworthy for me, and yeah, the tattoo was one of them, right? Yeah, it's pretty bad. It was, to me, the silly part where Ben went down and they had the wheel... And he starts turning the wheel. You and don't the, like that? And the island disappeared? You didn't like that? No. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> See, for me, I was just like, I don't want to know how. Uh, Why is he turning a gigantic wheel? But it was so mysterious. He's in like this ice cave. It's like, ooh, we're like in a whole nother place. And how did he get ice? Uh, but I felt like that was too much. Uh, I felt like I wanted to be okay, more of a mystery. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, I hear to me, it would have been cool if it just disappeared and there was no, like, nobody knew why. Yeah. But. Ben went down there, and there's a 
ship wheel and he just got behind it. He's like, come on. He just starts like, seem weird. Okay. Um, I hear you. But here, so in this long lady intro, she says, but there is still the question, why? Do we know why Leland Bob is killing? I think that's the ultimate question. Right. And maybe you might even revisit in the new season, right? Yeah, yeah. When people say, who killed Laura Palmer? And people will be like, well, it was Bob or it was Leland. Mm. Uh, to me, that's the ultimate question. We don't know. Was it Bob or was it Leland? We right. all have different answers. That is the one mystery that Lynch gave us and the writers gave us. We all have different answers about that, and I love it. Because yes. it's, that's a great mystery, right? which I don't want anybody to ever tell us we're right or wrong. I think we have to have a show in the future here where we yes. have a whole discussion on who really killed Laura Palmer. Palmer. And this is actually your idea. Yes. This is your idea, Brian. You've been pr- talking about it for a long time. I, but let's get some people on the show and let's do a show on it. Who killed Laura Palmer? Yes. Season three happens. After season three, a follow-up called Now Who Really Killed Laura Palmer? Yes. And that, what changed? What did season three give us that would change our answers? Our theories are blown out of the water, you know? Yep. It is now time for a Twin Peaks story. So if you're listening to the day that we came out here on this Wednesday, April 5th, Uh there is a two-year anniversary. What anniversary would that be, Ben? It's the anniversary that David Lynch quit Twin Peaks. To me... (laughs) Seems like an odd anniversary, because I would want the anniversary of when David Lynch signed on to Twin Peaks. But you, there's a story why, and I was poking fun of you a little bit, because uh, to me it sounds like a downer. Yeah, but we're so close, and why would I bring up that? Uh, uh, something like yeah. bad news, but right. you've got a lot to tell us right here. Yeah, well, one thing, I mean, we'll get to in a second, is that there, there was a video made by the cast, which you haven't seen no, yet, have you? So no. I thought that was kind of fun to share surprise, with you. Surprise, surprise, I haven't yeah. seen this yet, so... So April 5th, 2015, wow. on Twitter, David Lynch sends out a few tweets. He says, after one year and four months of negotiations, I have left because not enough money was offered to do the script the way I felt it needed to be done. And he also goes on to say that uh, Showtime did not pull a plug on Twin Peaks, that there still could be Twin Peaks without David Lynch. Wow. Yeah, and th- this happened on Easter Sunday. That's so a weird day that they all go down on a Sunday. Right. Later on, we would learn that uh, originally it was going to be nine episodes or nine, whatever we're calling this, installments, nine hours. Yeah. And I think Mark Frost and David Lynch saw the value in making it a longer work. And in, in, in this day and age, 18 is a big number for hour-long shows. Hour-long shows on cable networks generally but, are like eight to ten episodes. Right. So 18, this is pretty cool. So a few days after Lynch makes this announcement that he's done, some of the cast get together, and it's not clear who who started this. Sherilyn Fenn says that she wanted to do something. Machen Amick was very involved in in getting a hold of people and saying, hey, we got to put something together to put a video out, maybe to get the word out to try and get excitement to try and get Lynch back involved. So I thought we could play this. I'm excited. Yeah. Twin Peaks without David Lynch. It's like a girl without a secret. Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like a dog without a bark. Twin Peaks without David Lynch? It's like eyes without (laughs) cows. (laughs) Twin 
Peaks without David Lynch is like a waitress without her uniform. Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like pies without cherries. Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like a motorcycle without its rider. Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like a sheriff station without donuts. Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like a letterman's jacket without the letter. Twin Peaks without David Lynch would be like the log without bark. Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like drape runners without cotton balls. Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like the fire without the heat. Like a hole with no donut. No Twin Peaks with no David Lynch. People wrote in. Grace Brisky wrote in, Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like sad without funny, or funny without sad. Charlotte Stewart wrote in, Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like Albert without Costello, Bella without... Lugosi. Lugosi. Franken without Stein. Yeah, Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein. <laughs> I didn't get that. Hashtag save Twin Peaks. Pretty cool. Um, was that Jennifer Lynch at the very end? Yep. That was awesome. Now, here's an odd thing. We just saw a lot of those characters in the Entertainment Weekly. It's so weird to say they look two years younger. Some of them. They just, maybe it was because they're all dressed up as a character in yeah. Entertainment Weekly. Right. It's weird. It's crazy. Everybody in that, that we saw or is yeah. in that video is in the new series. And we saw James with hair. Yes. And I wish they kept him with the hair. Well, it, But we don't know his character, so. And the funny thing is, there was, we did see a picture in Entertainment Weekly that had the hair. buzz, had, yeah, the buzz yeah. cut, like, really, yeah. Uh, but yeah. You are obsessed with hair. You I, yeah, I am. Justin Wheeler, uh, <laughs> J- John Justin Wheeler and his fake hair, and like, you just. <laughs> I know, I know. You, you never brought up, you never brought up uh, Laura Palmer with her wig, though, for Firewalk With Me, did you? Or, like, some people really have a problem with her. She wore a wig? <laughs> I didn't know this. Okay. Why did she wore? Did she, oh, she I, think, wanted, I think she had short hair. Uh, they did a great job. Okay. Because I didn't notice, but Billy Zane, I noticed the glue right oh, away. Oh, here you go. But Laura yeah. Palmer, that's awesome. I yeah. didn't know it was a wig. David Lynch did come back on May 15th. He says, and this is on Twitter, Dear Twitter friends, the rooms are not what they seem. It is happening again. Hashtag Twin Peaks returns on Showtime Network. And that is awesome. I think David Nevins has said that it was really a matter of a few days that they started kind of working through this. So it might not have even taken a whole month or so. They, and within a few days, it seems like they were starting to work things out and they yeah. wanted to come around and solve this. But those are scary times to be like, to hear that you're going to get Twin Peaks back with David Lynch directing everything and then to be told, ah, oh, he might not be coming back. And then what would, I mean, Twin Peaks, in a lot of scenarios... The director doesn't matter. Um, sometimes the writers don't matter. Um, the show will move on. But in this case, David Lynch is as much part of Twin Peaks as Twin Peaks is okay. part of David Lynch. There's only one David Lynch. There's only one David Lynch that that really understands that dream world and that yeah. abstract and understanding how happy accents can be part of yeah. your work. I, he just does his own thing. He is mm-hmm. who he is. Nobody can capture that. I mean, we would all watch, yeah. but... 
would we all be kind of begrudgingly watching it, going, well, right. this truly isn't what we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. We are on the phone with Jubal and Carl from Counter Esperanto. Hi, guys. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, we get to have you guys on the show. Very it's exciting. Awesome. So you guys have the coolest Twin Peaks podcast. It's so very unique. And, and smart. And smart. Yes, we were talking about that. Before we air. called you guys, yeah. It's too smart sometimes for us. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I love it that it's you get, you get, the way you guys dive into the weird. Can you guys talk about your show? Well, part of this whole thing is that, uh, you know, Carl and I, we've known each other since, you know, sophomore year in high school back in like 90 or 91. And uh, and we have been, uh, you know, Twin Peaks fans and weird fiction fans. It's sort of like dual obsessions that we've had for our whole lives. And just saw this as an opportunity to kind of combine two loves into one because we, we had been kicking around the idea for a podcast for a long time. And it didn't, uh, you know, in fact, we recorded a pilot episode like, two or three times and it just never it just kind of like didn't gel until uh, we got the secret history of Twin Peaks and saw all the stuff that Mark Frost was bringing in and, uh, and then we started really just kind of thinking about the idea of Twin Peaks as a weird fiction text you know as uh, when we think of it as the greatest expression of the weird on television and possibly even the eerie too you guys are from the Northwest so you guys can may have a feel of what Twin Peaks is like with the woods and the whole atmosphere Part of it is this feeling that there is a lot more going on under the surface. Uh, you know, we've mentioned on our show uh, the writer Algernon Blackwood, who H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was a big fan of. And we think of uh, more than any other writer, we think of Blackwood as being sort of uh, touchstone. I don't know if, if Lynch or Frost have read him at all, but I mean, it's uh, he's kind of a touchstone for the kind of weird the Twin Peaks is, which is this sort of like uh, that there's so much more going on under the natural world that affects us in ways that we can't, uh, that we don't see directly, but it nevertheless kind of uh, affects our lives, you know, on a very fundamental way. Yeah, I almost think that Frost at least has to have read Skeleton on account of Frost's interest in uh, the more esoteric end of human experience. He's very interested in, um, well, we went into his uh, interest in uh, theosophy. And the other big, odd thing, odd spiritual thing that was happening in England at the time was the uh, Order of the Golden Dawn and Alistair Crowley's um, kind of emergence onto the stage as a interesting character of questionable motives and means. Um, yeah, he was called the evil, the most evil man in the world, you know? Yeah, and I can't help but think that uh, Crowley is one of the inspirations for uh, how the show dealt with Doug Post and things mm. like that. There's another touchstone, which is on your show, Ben and Brian, you had, I think it was Christian Hartleben on, you were talking about uh, a writer, August Derleth, uh, and his, uh, and that's where... Um, Zero Pond is... Um, well, the, the name and part of um, Frost's interest was taken from the Solar Pond stories, which was, um, as far as I can tell, one of the first, un yeah, it was unauthorized um, <laughs> pastiches of Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. because basically 
um, as a young man, wrote to, it was actually before um, Doyle died, he wrote to Doyle and asked where one of the, he wanted more Sherlock Holmes stories, and he said, well, recently wrote back, sorry kid, that's all I got. I've been dressed in berries in the backyard now. Don't go away, don't bother me. And Doyle said, okay, well, yeah, I'll do it myself. Only I'll make them uh, French, yeah, French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, you know, Derleth was a, a friend of H.P. Lovecraft and was one of his early publishers, I believe. He was one of the reasons why we can we still know Lovecraft's name. Uh, but he wrote a lot of pastiches of Doyle and also of Lovecraft, and you know, his his quality was spotty to say the least. But he was pretty instrumental in getting you know, Lovecraft out there. And it just kind of, it was, it was, it sort of triggered in me when I heard you guys talking about that on your podcast. It was like, you know what, we need to pull the trigger on this because all of a sudden I had all these ideas. So you guys don't really focus on episodes. Like some shows have to cover each episode of Twin Peaks, but I love it that you guys focus on the weird and how, where do you guys come up with your ideas? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I think there was one that you guys had, you guys came up with the uh, tree octopus. A strange creature stalks the verdant green shadows of Washington's Olympic National Forest. Strange to the point of unbelievability, and so skittish and retiring that modern science doubts that any examples of its species still walk amongst the moss-shrouded boughs. No, not the hairy one that has a conspicuous amount of basic cable television shows devoted to hunting, or uncovering, or otherwise discovering it. Instead, it is the sole remaining arboreal cephalopod in North America, Octopus paxarbolus, better known as the Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus. The Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus? Yeah. Um, well, that came in my subscription to the Cincinnati Idea Service. Yeah, that's the <laughs> um, <laughs> Some famous science fiction writer um, got tired uh, it was probably Harlan Ellison, and has a reputation of becoming totally cranky during interviews sometimes. And for like after being asked, "Where do you get your ideas, Mister Ellison?" for the hundredth time, he just started claiming that he <laughs> got it in a subscription service called the Cincinnati Idea Service. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> to actually answer the question, <laughs> the tree optimist came up. In my, um, I guess it's academic. Uh, I'm trained as a librarian, uh, which means I've got a master's degree and an empty bank account. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of our um, assignments was to go through a list of uh, websites and mark them for um, basically how realistic how much one could trust the information that was in those websites. Hmm. And it's difficult to tell in some cases. One of the ones that um, comes out is a biography online of uh, Martin Luther King. Um, one could possibly find it suspect if it came from the Stormwatch website, which is the leading white power. Yeah, hmm. yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, so... You don't trust that, and no. then then there's the other big example of absolutely false stories would be the um, Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus, because mm. when you sit down and look at it, um, except for the fact that it's totally ridiculous, it is sober, and there's citations, and photos, and 
uh, spawning mass, the whole deal. Hmm. The only thing that's wrong with it is it's totally BS. <laughs> All of that works into this, of course, uh, you know, and it, it, because that's essentially the novel that Mark Frost put out. You know, it's uh, it's something that largely looks like it's a legitimate dossier, but it it it, it, it weaves in facts, but it also has like a, you know, a, a great deal of, of fiction and myth and bunk, you know, and so and that's this idea of like the line between, you know, fact and fiction and between secrets and mysteries and uh, and all of that, you know, kind of that, that's, you know, inspiring to us, you know, but a lot of this kind of comes from thinking in terms of the way that you have David Lynch as an intuitive artist and Mark Frost as sort of like the the sober, structured writer and how those two dynamics rub up against each other is uh, is really inspiring if you're wanting to think in terms of of the weird of of the history of horror and all of that. So it makes a good primary text for us to sort of springboard off of. And Jubal, uh, like, how do you guys structure your shows? Like, kind of assign each other different work? Like, you'll do some, and Carl has his own assignments, and you kind of come together and put a show together? Usually what we'll do is we'll come up with about two or three ideas in advance, and then we do a little bit of, like, uh, we kind of see what, you know, how the um, research comes together. And then usually what will happen is, like, uh, Carl will look up something. Like, for example, our next uh, our next episode is going to be about the kind of like the weird world views. We're, we're going to look at Lovecraft, Lynch, uh, Thomas Ligotti, uh, Franz Kafka, a couple different people, and just sort of the ways that they saw the world, their sort of political beliefs and how they changed. And the reason why that came up as an idea is that, you know, Lynch used to be, a, you know, he voted for Reagan. And then he wound up being an Obama supporter, you know, and so it's like he's had his own sort of journey and a lot of that kind of coming out of the meditation and everything. And Lovecraft is, you know, kind of famously a uh, racist or more specifically a xenophobe. He was very much um, he was very much like a kind of like stuck in his ways and was uh, was very much a, a proponent that of the idea that nothing should ever really change, you know? And, and then we think about Lynch as somebody who like a lot of his art comes from this place where this nostalgia for the past, for the fifties, you know, sort of like an idealized past that likely didn't exist. And so that's kind of our next idea. So I'm looking into Lynch, Carl's looking into Lovecraft, and then we'll, we'll meet up and have a discussion. That sounds really interesting. It does. Yeah. I'm cheating because I already, I like, reading books of letters, so I've already read several books of Lovecraft's letters, so I can I pretty much just need to go back and cherry pick some uh, quotes. I, I mean, pick up some uh, <laughs> quotes that uh, uh, ascertain his change over time. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> what I love is, and this is from day one you guys did, is you have like a reading that you kind of read some the of your essays, work. Yeah. I love that. And for Carl, you have your father reading some of them as well? Through the darkness of future's past, the magician longs to see. One chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. Yeah, uh, well, my my dad's always wanted basically voice acting work. Um, He's been told frequently that he's got a good um, uh, radio voice and he's been wanting to do more of that. And I 
didn't want to do the readings because, <laughs> like most of us, our voice is not pleasant to hear uh, played back to us over recording equipment. And it also gives, in my opinion, um, having the reading done by other voice add to th- that subtle thing that they call production quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a richness there. Part of our inspiration for that, too, is the uh, HP Podcraft, you know, podcast. Uh, it, it's the, it's put out by the uh, by Chris Lackey and... Um, yeah, and uh, and what they do is they have this voice actor named Andrew Lehman who does a lot of their readings. They have other people reading too, but Andrew Lehman is just phenomenal, and he he reads. He's done like full productions of of Lovecraft stories, and uh, and so this is sort of like it, there's just something nice about having you're going to a completely different space. That's why I use a lot of sound design and stuff around the readings, is because I like this idea of kind of stepping into this other space. And just kind of hearing the story, and then we might come back and do commentary, or we just put the stories out and let them stand alone. I'm glad you brought up uh, sound design. Like, so Jubal, is that you? Did you put that? Like, so this is really ambient sound that you guys kind of weave throughout your shows. Did you compose that? Did you put that together? Yeah, I did. I, I do that on the fly, kind of. Uh, to as I, ha- I have you know music projects that I do, but th- this is something that you, I wanted something that could be you know three minutes or thirty minutes and actually work either way. You know, not be too not be too like distracting or whatever. And uh, and so you know, I have um, education in in sound recording and things like that. And this is an opportunity to do some real design, you know, uh, rather than writing writing songs. And so I, I edit the episodes. Basically, kind of Carl does most of the pre production, and I do most of the post production. He does a lot of the research. You know, I'll look into some things, but he generally does research. Sends me stuff to look at, saying, "Okay, this is we're going to talk about this." Sometimes he'll send me talking points, but sometimes we just wing it. And one of the uh, kind of the dynamic that we have is that Carl is so good at uh, uh, just recalling random stuff. When we talked about Laura Palmer, all of a sudden we, you know, it's like well, we spun off in this direction that was just really fascinating for me to, you know, to sort of like be a part of this conversation. But then it's kind of my job where I start slowly pulling us back to Twin Peaks, and then we'll springboard again. In, and then I slowly pull us back. So it's just sort of like casting a line, you know, and pulling it and reeling it in back to the back to the chord story. Yeah. Yeah. She will see uh, the Twin Peaks and I, I am the living tangent. <laughs> the what? The living tangent. Oh, that's yeah. a yeah. for a book. I'm writing that down right now. Yeah, <laughs> That's <a tangent>. That's <laughs> <great>. <laughs> yeah. When I listen to your shows, it's like I'm listening, and it is about Twin Peaks, what I love, but it's yeah. almost it's about the weird and about fiction, and it's like, wow, Jubal and Carl are are kind of they're kind of sneakily making me into uh, appreciating uh, novels and fiction and works of art, and they're, but they're you know they're kind of like giving me the sugar to get to yeah, the, uh, you like know, you my, feel a little bit smarter afterwards, like. Sometimes you guys are talking, and I'm like, what are they talking about? But I'm always fascinated. I'm always fascinated. Yeah, I'm always like, I should be reading more. Yeah, you make me guys, you're like, I gotta stop reading comic books and start reading a real book. And, but on, in all honesty, though, I, I like, it, it, it's a little intimidating in the beginning. You're like, who, who is this they're talking about? What's this? And, but it makes, I think that's a, a great service because, you know, you mentioned someone I've never heard of before, but that's going to make me Google that person and then dig into that, you know. And when I listen to your show, it, I, I think that um, that's great for the audience. It's exposing people to things they've never heard about before mm. and expanding their mind. And 
I think it's great. I, I yeah. love yeah. it. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah, well, another big cultural touchstone, where you know, in recent uh, history was uh, True Detective, that first season of True Detective. And uh, I remember reading an, an, an interview with uh, Lynch uh, shortly. It was either right before or right after the, they announced the comeback of Twin Peaks. And he was saying that... Uh, that he watched True Detective and really enjoyed it. And I almost got, you know, it almost seemed, he almost seemed to imply that it might have been sort of that final catalyst, you know, saying that, you know, if this show is on, is this successful on HBO, maybe we should be looking at pay cable and we should just finally do this thing, you know. Um, that's, you know, and but part of this, of course, is the fact that when I was watching True Detective, I came around to the second or third episode and then my ears perked up when he says, he gets the diary and he reads about the Yellow King. And so all of a sudden it's like, wait, Yellow King? Because that, that's that's not just, lo- I mean, everybody's heard of Lovecraft, but that's Robert W. Chambers. That's 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 kind of a deep dive, you know. And uh, and all of a sudden Robert W. Chambers, you know, a hundred and some odd years after his death is a bestseller on Amazon, you know. And, and I thought there is definitely kind of like a market for coming going back to some of this stuff, like, you know, the pre-Lovecraft and also some of the marginal writers that came afterwards. Like we talk about Thomas Ligotti and I can't, you know, you guys need to pick up his, uh, I guess it was the, the Penguin American Classics Edition or something It's of, of uh, stories that was out. It's, it's easy to get. He's, he's typically like chronically out of print. And then uh, him getting on this major on this major imprint was actually kind of a boon because now you can get it for like 12 bucks instead of 200 you know <laughs> so uh but I, yeah i rec- i recommend him because he is uh you know he's he's somebody that took the sort of like the cosmic horror and made it really personal um you know like just the this idea of kind of like a you know struggling with something and you know it's it's bringing sort of the insanity of poe back into it uh, when people ask me for recommendations of uh modern weird to read uh, I usually say read The Last Piece of Harlequin by Ligotti hmm. and The Imago Sequence by Laird Barron yeah, Laird Barron is somebody. He's a he's from the Pacific Northwest, and uh, yeah, and that that's another thing too. Is is you know Twin Peaks the the weird in Twin Peaks is very much rooted in the Pacific Northwest. You know, as as I'm sure that anybody who watches the show can tell that it's you know the those craggy mountains and the trees and the fog and uh, you know and it's just the sort of the perpetual drizzle. You know, um, is all part of as much part of that as Bob or any of the other stuff, you know, and Laird Barron, Laird Barron, I think he lives in New York now, but he, uh, he got his start in Alaska and Canada and the Pacific Northwest. And there's just something about, it. he captures the same kind of weird, sense of weird that Twin Peaks does. He wrote the Imago sequence when he was living in Olympia, um, which is one of the rainy, drizzly parts of Washington state. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that people don't know geographically is that um, Twin Peaks is set um, in eastern Washington, but it was filmed uh, way up in the Cascades in North Bend hmm. when they were filming on location with yeah. Pilot. Right. Um, Pilot in the movie. That was in yeah. North Bend. And, and the movie. Um, one of the things that I do find interesting is the difference between eastern and Washington, Washington. Um, superficially, politically, but geographically and um, climatologically. The weather's different in Spokane than it is in Yeah, you know what I love is that, like, I wonder if it shows you talking about the woods and how that 
the elements of the woods. People like to get away from the world by going into the woods. Isolation is such a mm-hmm. uh, trope to theme throughout every sort of horror fiction, mm. and especially the weird, where you can be alone. So the woods is interesting because it's a place where you can be totally alone yeah. as far as human beings go, and yet you're in the center of a huge biomass. <laughs> right, and that could be awfully damn creepy. Yeah, especially if you're used to living in those cities. Yeah, that's that kind of thing. It's like you're alone in the sense that you don't ha- you're, you don't have hum- other humans around, but you're you are very much uh, occupying a space that is full of life and possibly death. <laughs> so and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, well, there have been so many odd intentional communities and communes and frankly cult and um, uh, exclusionary and trying to say a nice way of saying that's just crazy people have done. Militia? Militia. Yeah, that was it. Um, There's a lot of that activity here in the Northwest. And I think that the the geography plays into that quite a lot because you can drive 10 miles away from a major metropolitan area Mm. and be utterly... Isolated. I mean, how yeah. often do you guys put out a, a show? Well, our initial idea was to be every other week, uh, and we did that for a while and managed to pull that off. Um, but, you know, the, we realized that, you know, we're just going to have to go for quality rather than quantity because mm. um, sometimes it'll be a month, uh, and then sometimes we'll have something out every week, at least like a small reading or something. Yeah. I think that's a good well, way we're to go. Trying to... <laughs> Yeah, when we started this, we decided, you know, we've tried this like three, four times with extensive planning and, um, you know, coming up with really intricate scripting and show notes and whatnot. Um, but we've never actually done any of that. So let's just um, throw it out there without any safety net and without any backlog and without any plan beyond the next episode <laughs> and see where it goes. That's awesome. That's the best way yeah. to do it. Yeah. We we try to plan, yeah. But we uh, are, we we have an outline, but we try to follow that outline. Yeah, we try to. Yeah, try to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys have been regu- crazy consistent, considering uh, yeah, <laughs> how many how many people you're able to get on and 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 just keep all the you know, the fresh content. Now that you're past the. Uh, uh, you know, you're long since past the episodes. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I really like this this format where you guys have uh, segments and things. Oh, thank you, Jubal. Yeah, yeah. yeah ben, Ben's a madman. He he he's the man with the magic. It's he like, gets, how do we keep the show going? <laughs> he gets the interviews, man. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. I, I think Joel has said that like, oh, we we're kind of like a spring spring off. Uh, 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 Sparkwood in 21 but I actually I mean Joel doesn't know this I don't say this to him but I feel like it started with Joel and then I was I learned yeah. about S- S- Sparkwood in 21 and, and Jubal you did stuff you you did uh, feedback with for them so it's kind of like we all kind of came together so I think we're all one big happy family yeah <laughs> yeah it's so cool yeah I think Twin Peaks Unwrapped is, uh, is actually a little bit more in the spirit of wrapped in plastic you know? oh thank yeah. you oh that's a very compliment you know. wow that's yeah. awesome yeah really seems like it yeah, because, you, you know, especially, you know, it's like little, it's almost like just little interviews and articles and feedback and, you know, everything but pictures. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's awesome. And I, I just love what you guys are doing. I mean, I really, you're the most unique Twin Peaks podcast that I know of. And I just Definitely. love that you guys have these, these readings and you bring all these different source materials. And, and like I said, every week I'm learning new things. Yeah. Definitely. It really is about, and thank you, and it really is about the community, like you said, because uh, that was, you know, I, I actually keep forgetting to incorporate more of that because oftentimes when we record our shows, by the time we're, you know, at the end of the process, we're sort of like, all right, this is going to be a beast to edit, we better stop. But I, so I keep meaning to bring more in, but, uh, but that's why for this next episode, I have contacted John Thorne and Joel mm, and, uh, awesome. and a couple different people uh, in order to sort of get their feedback on the kind of complicated question of, you know, uh, of Lynch's worldview and his kind of the, the way that his politics and maybe just, you know, how his view of the world is uh, expressed through his ours. Mm. And uh, that's something I'd like to do more is, is start making this be a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a give and take among the community. And I think you guys are definitely the, uh, the hub for that. Well, thank you. And I think from day one, I know you brought you mentioned us from day one, and I know yeah, you bring up nice. a lot of other podcasts. And, and I know you're a big supporter yeah. of Diane uh, podcast, oh, just the, like we the, are yeah. and stuff. And it's great that I feel like all these different podcasts have really come together, and we're here to support each other. So Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Where can you guys be found? Well, let's see. We are on uh, you know iTunes, and you can find us basically anywhere. You can find uh, you know usually any uh, podcast apps, and also... On uh, pseudo spaces, that's p s e u d o s p a c dot e s. Is sort of like a kind of like a site that we post up episodes where you can get the MP3s. You know, if you don't want to use iTunes. And we are uh, on Twitter at C underscore Esperanto. Well, thank you, Jubal and Carl, for coming on the show. I love the podcast. I think it's really wonderful. I can't wait to listen to the next one. Do you think uh, Agent Dale Cooper is able to uh, receive his FBI pension fund while his soul is trapped in the Red Room? Thank you, bye. So, this one's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's in the Red... He's trapped, but his doppelganger is loose. So, as an evil doppelganger... He can do whatever he wants because people are going to think he's Dale Cooper. Okay, yeah. So he can have his pension fund, but he's not retired. He's still an agent. Yes. So I'll go with the, th- the thinking that maybe the doppelganger uh, doesn't make himself known. Like maybe he's running off and like maybe maybe everybody else thinks he's missing. He, he went missing on duty. So he, if he was – if this was a case he was working on, he was really uh, searching for uh, – Wyndham Earl. I want to say yes. He still still get his pension when he comes back. Like if he returns and he's been gone for twenty five years, if it was on duty, he should still get that. Yeah, and if he's if he's still the evil Cooper, well, he could do evil things with it, <laughs> like bite <laughs> sharks with laser beams on the head. Come on, <laughs> yeah. Go to One Eye Jacks and just spend all his money. Yeah, I mean he'll do a lot of evil. Like, he'll eat a lot of donuts and right. not exercise because yes. he won't care. Or, I don't know. Drink a lot of coffee. Uh, or he'll have decaf, um, something Cooper wouldn't do. Right. Um, and he'll have cream in it. Yes. Yes. He'll <laughs> cream and sugar in it, which will cost more money. Yeah. So that pension will go real quick. Uh, so um, thank you. That's fun. I mean, that was fun to think about what would uh, happen to Cooper's pension. Yeah. Man, Keep uh, them coming in. Yeah. What's the phone number again, Ben? 
The phone number is 1-866-8-UNWRAP, 866-886-9727. Say that one more time. 866-886-9727, and that's 866-8-UNWRAP. So give us that call, leave us that message, and we'll play it on a future episode. So that kind of wraps up today's show, Ben. But before we go, I do want to mention April 11th, come join Ben and myself on our YouTube channel where every day we're going to recap going from pilot all the way to the secret history of Twin Peaks leading up to season three. Awesome. So every day, a new episode. Well, not new. These are our old stuff, but we're going to, it's just to get us more in the YouTube community. Yeah, it's a um, whole other audience. I mean, some people, uh, I am like this. I At home, I, I'll put on YouTube and just have it on the background while I'm doing other things. So some people might not subscribe to podcasts, and their, their way of finding out stuff is through YouTube. Yeah, so that's so basically, we'll, we'll post on social media. It's like a, our, our countdown. And we're going to include our recaps of the episodes, but we're going to have, we're going to do the books, and we're going to have the Joel Baco episodes where we talk about specific episodes so it's gonna be a lot of fun um if you heard if you listen to these a year ago and you want to listen to them again awesome and for maybe we'll get a new audience this way so just something different and a little countdown get us excited for season three so we're going to start that april 11th and ben is always on the twitter at twin peaks unwrap how's twitter going now Twitter's awesome. I mean, yeah. there's so many. I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm always hearing from like Mark Frost, and I'm hearing from a lot of the actors and people that are working on Twin Peaks. So yeah. I mean, it's always and the fans. I mean, it's a great place to uh, to really just be involved with Twin Peaks. The community is amazing. On they Twitter. are amazing, and thank you guys for listening to us. We really appreciate that. And how's Facebook going? We are getting closer to our goal. Um, we're getting lots of likes every day. If we can hit 450, that'd be amazing. I think we're going to do it. And also, Reddit, you know, people, uh, the Twin Peaks community on Reddit is amazing. I got the Blue Rose magazine on there, a little traction for them on yeah. the old Reddit. Scott Ryan and John Thorne and all of them, they, they did an amazing job with that magazine. The first issue, you got to get it. it you Collector's get it digital item. right now. You yes. can get it digital. Um, they, only did, they already did the pressing. Of yep. the, so that's happened. They're already working on episode uh, issue two. Right. So and you might still be able to get uh, the first issue available. on eBay because I'll be selling one. Oh no! no! Just kidding. Oh, that's horrible. Just kidding. A hundred dollars markup. A million dollars. A million dollars, and you can modify it and yeah. add your own magazines. Oh. Um, so you can check that out, and you can send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail and iTunes, please, five-star review. Give us that re- uh, little comment. Get us out there more. And we or any of the other Twin Peaks podcasts, one of us, we got to break that top 50 before season three. And I have a feeling one of us is going to do it. Yeah, It means so much. Yeah. Just take five minutes. Give us those five stars. Tell us why you like the show, and and then other people can find out about the show, and it gets us pumped to go out there and get great interviews. Yeah, we got a lot of exciting things in the pipeline mm-hmm. before season three. So, 
Um, just subscribe to us. Keep us on your favorite podcast um, device. And uh, every week is a new show. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>